joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you ever have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at newsongplymouth.church. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Are you ready to study the Word of God, yes or no? It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You're going to be so encouraged as we start a brand new series called Rest Assured. And this is just going to be a two-week series, of course, that'll lead up to our 15th year celebration service on the 18th. And so today we're going to talk about the inside battles that we have. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the outside battles. So how to rest assured on the inside uh, when things are going wrong and how to rest assured when things on the outside are going wrong, like how to live in confidence and hope and in joy. And so in this, in this series, as far as today's sermon, uh, I'm going to speak to you about how, how, how to live your life and how not to live your life according to the word of God. You're going to be encouraged. And, and this is especially for all of those in this room that you just have the tendency to just beat yourself up. So, so a lot of times, um, you, you know, we make mistakes and we want to beat ourselves up and, and, and we're hard on ourselves and we don't forget about it. We hold on to the sin and we, we're just like, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid. And you think that for days and weeks and you're driven by guilt and you're not really driven by gratefulness of God. You're, you're just hard on yourselves. You just beat yourselves up. And is that appropriate? Is that, is that biblical? And I want to actually tell you that sometimes it makes sense in our minds like, okay, I, I was wrong, I failed, I need to suffer for it, I'm going to beat myself up, I'm going to be hard on me. But, but let me tell you theological truth, biblical truth, that it's just not the will of God for you to live life like that. That there's a better way to live life. In fact, everybody, let me, let me say it this way, that... Uh, we oftentimes in the church, not only this church, but churches across America, you'll hear us talk about how to have a great relationship with God and how to have a great relationship with other people. But today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about how to have a great relationship with yourself, like how to be at peace in yourself. How to, so, so I don't, I say, said this the first service, I don't know about you, but um, uh, I'm, I'm with me all the time. Like, I'm always with me. Is that the same with you? Like, no matter where I go, there I am. I'm just always with me. And I need to have a good relationship with myself because I'm always with me. And so, so how many know if you, like, for, for couples, we oftentimes will talk to couples. In fact, I, I know some couples that are, are that, well, one of us is a truck driver and the wife is just always right there. They're just always in the truck together. I mean, they are together 24-7. And I look at them and say, wow, you've got to have a special kind of relationship to be with somebody 24-7. I don't care how much you love them. How many know what I'm talking about? No matter how much you love them, 24-7? Really? Like, how many know that's good? You're going to have some conflict after a while. Well, you're with you 24-7, aren't you? And you need to know not only how to get along with God and how to get along with others, but you need to know how to get along with yourself. Like, how to look at yourself and just be content in who you are in Christ. And I'm not saying content where, where you're complacent in your relationship with Christ. But I mean content in yourself that you know who you are in Christ and that you're not living your life to beat yourself up, to be harsh on yourself, 
That you're living your life not focusing on you and your sins and your problems, your faults and mistakes, but you're looking to the author and the finisher of our faith, which is what the Bible tells us to do. So let me start this by saying, saying, saying it like this. Number one, write this thing down. No one is always good at being good. Like no one is always good at being good. Like nobody. And so if you look at somebody and say, wow, they are just so wonderful. Let me tell you something. They're wonderful, but not all the time. Like nobody is always good at being good. So, so Jennifer and I, we've talked about this a lot of times because I just think my wife is the best. I mean, she loves Jesus. She loves others. She, she really does just have a great relationship with God, with her family, with other people. She's just always trying her best. And when she messes up, sometimes I'm surprised. Like, well, was that you? Did You like never do that. Why? And she, she's talked to me a couple of times. She said, you know, I'm not perfect. Like, but it's like in, in my mind, she is. In my mind, it's like, well, that's my wife. Like, if I want anybody to pray for me, I'm going to go to my wife first because I just think God listens to my wife. Like, for all of you who run to the pastor, you should have been running to my wife the whole time. Like, because like, she just has the heart of God. I mean, like, God just, she's just in a special relationship with the Lord. And, and so when she messes up, she's like, you act surprised, and to an extent I am. And then I remember things like this. Nobody is always good at being good. Like, even if they're a great person, nobody's always good at being good. Number two, write this down, that my weakness and your weakness should remind us of our dependence upon God, right? Like, our, our, our weakness is not supposed to be a reminder of how terrible we are. Our weaknesses are supposed to be a reminder of how good God is, that he saved us anyway. You see the difference? And there is a big, big difference that it's a reminder. It's a reminder of who God is and how much we should rely upon him. In fact, Titus 3, verses 3 through 5 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. I didn't save myself. God saved me. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. Not because of righteous things that you or I had done, simply because of his mercy. That's how you got saved. Not because of your righteousness, not because of your goodness, but because of his goodness. In fact, I'm going to read out of 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 is too many scriptures to put here in your sermon notes, but let's read it together. Starting in verse 7, this is really 7b. Um, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let's leave that verse right there, right where it is. Yeah, okay, so who's writing this, everybody? Who's writing this? Paul is writing this. He's writing this to the church at Corinth. And he's making a statement here. He's saying, hey, I've got this thing in my life that I don't want in my life. Like, I have prayed that this thing would go away. And you say, well, what was that thing? We, we really don't know. We have some ideas. But, but like Paul, I promise you, every single one of us have a thing in our life. Like, you have, you have a thing in your life where you're saying, boy, I wish I just didn't have this, this thing. Like, this is the thing that I always 
deal with that I always struggle with. It's like, this is my fault. This is my, this is my struggle in life. And I think it's over, and then I realize it's not over. I think I've conquered it, and then I realize it's not conquered. And so he, he, he says this to the church at Corinth. He said, he said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A lot of times, let me just, and this is not of the topic today, but this is too rich not to say this. And, and it's simply this. For, for all of you who have ever been tempted to accuse God of something, like let, let's say that your, your, um, a loved one of yours gets cancer, and there's so many Christians in the world today that when somebody, whether themselves or somebody that they love, um, um, have to go through a sickness or a really, really bad situation, that they look at God and they say, God, why did you do this? But let me, let me reiterate something to you today that I've said in the past. Don't accuse God of being evil. There is no evil in him, the Bible says. So don't go to God and accuse him of being bad. You need to know who your enemy really is, and your enemy is not God. Like, like let, let me say it like this. God, God isn't the one who puts you in stuff. He's the one who brings you out of stuff. He's, he's not the one that, that causes harm in your life. He's the one that brings you out of harm's way. Like he's the deliverer, everybody. He's not the destroyer. Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus came so that we could have life and life eternal, life abundant. Everybody see what I'm saying? Like God is not the destroyer. God is the deliverer. And Paul knew that. He wrote to this church and he said, hey, listen, I have this issue in my life. I have this issue. It was a thorn in my flesh. It just kept coming up and it bothers me. But I know who it was from. It wasn't from God. It was from the devil. It was meant to torment me. Can I tell you something about God? God doesn't want you living in torment. He came to deliver you out of torment. That's the truth. That's, that's biblical accuracy. That is theological truth. And any other view of that is false. Any view that says, God did this evil to me, is false. Let me say it like this, and I'm going to really shock some of you. It is a satanic thought. Say, that's pretty harsh. It's also harsh to accuse God of doing evil. You see that? I just don't, I just don't do that. And I, I've to, I tell people almost weekly, why did God do this? He didn't. He didn't. I say that to people all the time, all the time, because people have it in their head, God did this. Why are we blaming God for something that the devil did? Come on, everybody. Why do we do that? Let's not live that life. As passionately devoted followers of Christ, let's not look at God as the destroyer. Let's, let's look at God as the deliverer. Let's not look at God as the one who puts us in. Let's look at God as the one who brings us out. Amen? If you agree with that, say amen. I need to hear some amens about that one because it's the truth, everybody. It's biblical truth. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is actually made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for 
Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. What? What? What did he just say? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then actually I'm strong. When I'm weak, the Bible says when we are weak, he is made strong. Like he shows his power. He shows his power. And so my weakness is actually meant to remind me of my dependence upon God and that he is deliverer and not destroyer. Everybody with me so far? Okay, letter three, or number three. As a devoted follower of Christ, I may have failures, but that doesn't change who I am in Christ. If we're really relying upon the love and the grace and the mercy of God concerning our weaknesses, then when I make a mistake, when I fail, when I sin, it doesn't change who I am in Christ Jesus. So, so let me say it this way, everybody. If we now, now I, I, I worded this a certain way because I wanted to convey an idea, actually a truth to you. That's, that's why I put it in there that as devoted followers of Christ, like actually being passionately devoted to the Lord, like, like living your life in surrender to God, that when you do make a mistake and when you do sin, when your weaknesses come out, that actually you're still in Christ and nobody can snatch you away from our Father's hand. How many think that's good news? That, that, that Christ died not just for the sins of my past and the sins of my present, but he also died for the sins of my future. That when I was made alive in Christ and new in Christ, I really was made alive. I am new in Christ Jesus. But for the one who would say, hey, listen, I get to go do what I want to do on Friday night, on Saturday night, and then, yeah, on Sunday, I just, I just go to church and, and uh, you know, I make everything right on, on Sunday morning only to, to make plans to go out and sin again on Friday night or Saturday night. And so, so their life is, yeah, yeah, I just go and do whatever I want to, but then I just go to God and say, hey, God, forgive me. I know that I'm covered. Can I tell you something? That person, whoever does that, is not a passionately devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that person is taking advantage of the grace of God. Because the Bible says, hey, hey, okay, we've been saved, we're new creations, so do we, and when we consider the grace of God and how majestic and big and wonderful it is and how it covers all of our sins, the, the past, the present, and the future, like when we think about the grace of God, the grace of God is so big that people in the early church were thinking, wow, if the grace of God is that great, then I can go live however I want to. But Paul approaches that, the writer of Romans approaches that, and he says, no, 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 should we keep on sinning so that, that grace may abound? Like, do we keep on sinning, purposely going out there and abusing the grace of God, knowing how gracious he is? And then he answers it. What was the big answer, everybody? He says, no, like, by no means, don't do that. But I'm guessing... You probably know somebody who lives life however they want to, and then they come to Christ, oh, God, forgive me, but then they go back and live how they want to, and then they say, oh, God, forgive me, and then, but they don't really care about their sin. They want to go to heaven, but they don't care about their sin. 
And can I tell you something? They're taking advantage of the grace of God. Now, I was going to put a note in here, but I thought it would be confusing if you ever went back and, and read it, so I just thought I'd verbally say it to you, that every single person in this room who is a Christian, every single person who has called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, and you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've repented of your sins, and you're, you're sitting here today as a new creation. You are made alive in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you something about you and about me? That true Christians, every true Christian has taken advantage of the grace of God. But in a good way. God says, here's my grace. All you have to do is call upon me and you'll be saved. And for every Christian in this room, we heard the gospel of grace and we said, I want some. God, I'd love to have your grace in my life. Please forgive me and make me new. And we took advantage of grace. And it was there to be taken advantage of. How many know what I'm talking about? Like God gave it for us to take advantage of it. But now, Christians, now that we've taken advantage of the grace of God, let's stop taking advantage of the grace of God. That's what Romans is. Do we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We've taken advantage of the grace of God. But let's not live our lives to take advantage of the grace of God. Of God. Do you see it? You see it? That we have been saved by grace through faith, and it was a free gift, and we took advantage of it. But let's not live our lives focusing on sin, focusing on pleasure. Let's live our lives focused on the author and the finisher of our faith. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to address something else very quickly. Because I really feel that there are a lot of people that, that are, are dealing with this issue that you're just hard on yourself and you beat yourself up because you have a shame-based identity, a shame-based identity. And I want to talk about that for a second. Number four, a shame-based identity is not godly. Like God doesn't want you to live in shame. In fact, for every person who just lives a shame-filled life, for every person who just beats themselves up constantly and refuses to forgive themselves, that if they make a mistake, if they have a fault in life, if they sin before God, it's like they just beat themselves up for days or weeks, and some I've met even for months. They just cannot get over their own sin. And let me tell you what that produces in your life. If you have a shame-based identity, it actually produces depression and loneliness, Depression, I'll never get out of this. I'll never change. How come I keep failing at this? How come I can't move forward in life? Why, haven't God, why hasn't God just delivered me from this in the past? I don't understand why I'm still dealing with this thing in my life. And then they get depressed. And their depression also leads them to loneliness. Loneliness because they're not enjoying their relationship with God. But also loneliness because they often don't enjoy their relationship with others. Because they're too busy beating themselves up. You don't want to live life like that. Let me say it this way. I don't think I've ever met somebody who has a shame-based identity who is not depressed or lonely. It's significant. Let me tell you something else, everybody. Number five, a shame-based identity oftentimes parallels perfectionism. Because there are people in this room that you just strive to be perfect. I was talking to somebody uh, this morning they said, you know, I, I always want to do what's right. Is that perfectionism? I think, no, 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 there's a difference. Because I always want to do what's right. That's not perfectionism. 
I mean, I, I, love, I love to do things with excellence, but that's not the perfectionism we're talking about. We're, we're talking about somebody who, if they make the slightest mistake, they are so hard on themselves that they beat themselves up. If, if they do the smallest thing, they're depressed for three days to come. That, that not only do they struggle with it, but they expect everybody else to be perfect. And that's a rough way to live life. I've learned in, in my life, I'm going to say something right here. I've, I've learned something in my life that, that I hope you're going to learn today if you haven't already. I'm not perfect. And, and, and you're not perfect. And I'm never going to be perfect, really, until I stand in the presence of God for eternity, then all things will be made right at that point. But as far as I'm alive, as long as I'm alive in this life, Justin is not going to be perfect. And you're not either. You're not either. In fact, James 3.2 says, we all stumble in, in at least one or two ways. No, that's not what it says. It says we all stumble in Many ways. <laughs> like, isn't that encouraging, right? And for all of you perfectionists out there, you're like, well, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, we, none of us want to. But there, the, there are some people in this room, and this is going to surprise some of you, there are some people in this room that are still able to enjoy their relationship with the Lord because they don't expect themselves to be perfect. They know that they're a sinner. That's why they're depending upon God so much. That's why they focus on the Lord so much. And they just stopped focusing on themselves. And when you can get to the point in your life where you just, your, your focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? You're going to start living in freedom. And the things that you used to struggle with, you'll just struggle with less and less and less. Because as long as your eyes are on yourself, your eyes will also be upon your sin instead of the one who takes away your sin. Oh, man. If this was Rod Parsley's church, you'd be jumping up and down right now. Let, let me read another verse to you. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Like, there's just nobody like that. If you say, wow, you know, Pastor Justin, he just, he just that guy, he's amazing. He just gets it all right. Well, ask my wife. Ask my kids. I don't. I don't. And if I were to look in your life, I would know something about you. You don't either. You don't always get it right either. You don't always say what's right. In fact, let me go even further. There, there, there are those of us in this room that are willing to admit today, and don't show your hands. This is not one of those moments, okay? <laughs> that sometimes I, 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 I do things without thinking. I, I make a mistake without thinking. I, I say something wrong without thinking. It's just, ugh evidence that I need more of Jesus. But then there are other times in my life that I do it on purpose. I know, right? Isn't that what sin is? When we know better, but we just do it anyway. Like you, not, you know not to say those words. You know not to watch that TV show, that movie. You know not to listen to that. Like you know not to look at that. And you've just done it anyway. Let me ask you a question. Isn't that what sin is? 
Isn't that what sin is? And aren't you glad that Jesus paid the price for our sins? Now, do we keep on sinning? No, 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 no. We don't do that. Instead, we look to our Heavenly Father and we say, Father, thank you that I've been delivered from my sins, that I've been set free. Now help me walk in freedom as I pursue you with all my heart. And if you're pursuing the Lord, you'll understand that you can actually walk in freedom and the life that you used to live, you don't have to live that anymore. See, see, I, I still struggle with things in my life, but I promise you this, I'm not the man I used to be. And I'm not the man I'm going to be as the Lord Jesus Christ continues to conform me to his will and to his word. How many know what I'm talking about? I am not who I used to be. Is there anybody else in this room who you'd raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm just not who I used to be. I have been changed. And how many now, you want God to continue to change you for the glory of his name, amen? So that's how we live life. Our focus is on him. Number six, this is good news, good news, good news. Write this down, that my faults do not equal defeat then. My faults do not equal defeat. Proverbs 24, verse 16, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, everybody, and I say that about a lot of verses, but it's true. This is still one of my favorites. I just got a lot of them. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. You think, what's the big deal? That's a huge deal, everybody. You know what that's saying, everybody? And I've taught you this before. It's See, see, as Christians, as passionately devoted Christians, there, there is nobody expecting you to be perfect. In fact, we'll talk about that in just a second. There's nobody expecting you to be perfect. And as you're walking out this Christian life, I guarantee you, you're going you're gonna to have some faults. You're going to have some sins in your life. Every now and then, they're just going to come out. And, and Christ never expected you. Jesus never expected you to be perfect. He never did. In fact, he knew that you were going to stumble and fall. But righteous men, people who are passionately devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we fall down, we just don't stay down. We just get back up. We just get back up. We just keep going. We just keep moving forward. Let, let me say it like this, everybody. Let, let me say it like this. And I've said this a few times before, but it is so, you got to put this in your, in your memory because it, it it'll change the way that you live life. That Christians... True Christians are not known as perfect people. We are not known as the perfect people. We are known as the getting back up people. That when we fall, when we stumble, when we fail, we just get back up. We look to God and say, God, help me not to do that again. And then we just move on. I learned something very, very important many years ago. That, that when I sin, when I have a fault that comes out, a weakness in my life that comes out, and, I, and I, I sin before God, then this is what I do. I go to God, say, God, I'm sorry about that. I don't want to live that life. Would you forgive me? And God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. You know that, right? So, so I go before God and say, God, just forgive me of that. Help me not, just empower me not to do that again. And this is what I do. I stop thinking about it. I don't, I don't give it any more of my time. I've already been forgiven. I, God has already... Already through, through, through his son Jesus, I've already been forgiven. So why should I focus on something that's been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness? God remembers it no more. You see what I'm talking about? Why should I, why should I hold on to something that God isn't holding on to? 
And so, yeah, I'll make a mistake. And then I just move on. I don't beat myself up. God, help me not to do that again. I don't want to do that again. Empower me not to do that again. And then I just put my focus right back up on him because I've learned a lesson. Beating myself up accomplishes nothing. But more of him in me accomplishes a great deal of things. So I just put my focus upon him. This is great stuff on how to live in victory, by the way. How to live your life without a shame-based identity. Romans 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How, how much condemnation to those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's none. There's none. I've been forgiven. And nobody is going to take me out of the hand of my father. Nobody's going to snatch me from his hand. He loves me and he has me and he holds me. And here's the best news, and this is what I was getting to, number seven, that God never expected me, and he never expected you to be perfect. And that's exactly why he sent his son, Jesus. Now, before I read that verse, I want you to put your sermon notes away just for a second. The verse will be up on your screen. I want to speak of one thing. Well, really two things. God, God never expected you to be perfect. He never expected me to be perfect. And that's why he sent us his son, Jesus. That's why God sent his son, Jesus. Because he knew that we were going to fail. He knew it. He knew it. And he loved us anyway. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we've been saved, not by works. We've been saved by grace through faith. That way you and I can't boast about it. That any of our boasting is only in Christ Jesus. So Jesus never expected you to be perfect. And he never expected me to be perfect. Can I tell you something? This is the secondary thing. There are a lot of churches in America that are filled with people who are just ornery little boogers. And they think very highly of themselves. They're high-minded and they are easily offended because they have an expectation that everybody's going to be perfect. Everybody's going to treat each other perfect. Can I tell you something? There's no such thing as a perfect person except when Jesus walked this earth. And, and I think it's about time for a church, and not, not just New Song, but for Christ's church, for the church, to rise up and gather together and when somebody makes a mistake and somebody lets you down and somebody hurts your feelings on accident or maybe on purpose, that you can live your life just saying, you know what, they're not perfect and neither am I. And I'm not going to hold this against them. That I'm, I'm just going to love the people of God anyway. Can I tell you something, everybody? I, I told you this several months ago and I want to say it again. That we live in a culture today in which people are offended far too easily. Could we just be the church in America that just stops that? That we are not, that we just live our lives. The Bible says if you're going to love somebody, love is patient, love is kind. One of the things that it says there that, that Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he says love is patient, love is kind. It does not boast, it's not rude, it's not, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily provoked. Love always trusts. You know what love does? 
Love always gives the benefit of the doubt. You know what? They hurt my feelings, but I don't think they would ever do that on purpose. Therefore, I forgive them. I forgive them. I'm not going to hold that against them. I, I was dealing with somebody a, a while ago, and they were, they were really bothered. They said, Pastor, you never came to visit me in the hospital. And I'm just offended. You were just never there. And I said, called him by name. I said, I didn't know. And then I asked him, I said, did you, did you call the church and tell the church office? Because I was going to tell my staff, hey, hey, you got to get me this info. Like, if, if, if it's a staff problem, I got to fix that. They're like, no, I didn't, I didn't tell the church. I said, did you email anybody? No. And you're offended at me? Like how, well, I just thought you would know. I just thought somebody would tell you. Well, nobody did. What, what a silly thing to be offended about. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, how many would just agree with me? That's just silliness. That's just silly. And could we just live our lives knowing that, knowing that we're not perfect? and that we don't expect each other to be perfect, but we're gonna love each other anyway, and we're gonna give each other the benefit of the doubt. How many know the church in America needs to hear this type of message? This culture is far easily, too, too offended far easily. We gotta break that. Let's just love each other, faults and all. I've heard one pastor say, let's love each other, warts and all. Warts and all. Why? Because that's the way that God loved us. That's the way that Jesus loved us, and we are to be imitators of Christ. This verse that I was telling you about, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I'm going to read this out of this contemporary English version. I've never even used this version on a Sunday morning, but it's really great the way it words it. Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. How many knows you know that Jesus deserves a little bit more attention than what we give him often? How many knows that we should get our eyes off of us and get our eyes upon Jesus Christ, our Savior? If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Don't beat yourself up. You stop that. That is not from God. When you sin, you confess it and move on. And you are still deeply loved by God. And you're still deeply loved by this church. I'm praying for freedom for many of you in this room. That you live your life beating yourself up. Well, today's the day to stop. For your benefit and for the benefit of his name. Today's the day that you're going to experience freedom. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We realize today that the only way we could have gone, the only way we could have met you and, and have gone to you was through your son, Jesus. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through you. And the fact that we have been saved is amazing. What makes it even more amazing is it wasn't our works. 
Jesus, it was all yours. It wasn't our perfection, Jesus, it was yours. It wasn't our sacrifice, Jesus, it was yours. We are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Meaning, Jesus, you get all the praise. You get all the glory. And I pray that you would help us to reject the shame that the, the enemy would put upon our lives. We reject that today. We renounce that type of thinking today. And we embrace the biblical truth that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that the old is gone and the new has come and we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. We accept the truth that you never expected us to be perfect. Forgive us for all the times that we focused on guilt instead of focusing on grace. Forgive us for the times that we, le we led a guilty life instead of a grateful one, focusing our attention and our affection upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us of that. And we reject the fact that we are not lovely because we know we are highly loved by you. For God so loved the world. Thank you for loving me, God. Thank you for seeing the value in me. And I accept your gracious gift. And I invite you into my life and into my heart like never before. And help me not to take advantage of grace in the future that, that I would live with my eyes focused on you, not focused on the things of this world. Thank you for empowering me with your Holy Spirit to live the life I'm called to live. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, into my life, fill me with everything that you have for me so that I could live for the glory of Jesus' name. And I pray all those things in your name, Jesus. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. Find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ. All you have to do is go to newsongplymouth.church/connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.